Hey everyone, welcome to the Significant Strike Podcast. I am your host, Soft Weekly, and with me as always is my human abacus, Val Dwyer. What's up, Val? What's up? You're the you're the algorithm last weekend, you're the abacus this weekend. Give me some math problems, I'll solve them in an instant. How's it going, buddy? It's going. It's just hanging out. I mean, mildly not that interested in this card, so we're keeping it somewhat short with only the four fights that I thought had either value or just interest. Yeah, this is a, a card that really makes me, uh, I think the word is nonplussed. You know what I mean? It's, I'll be happy to watch the fights, but... um. It's not the greatest UFC card. Even the main event isn't great. It'll be interesting, but it's okay. But um, because of that, we do have something extra for the people this week that we'll be doing tomorrow night. Why don't you tell them about that before we get into last week's roundup? Yeah, so this is so weird to say. What I am interested in this week, not UFC, is Bellator. Bellator 263 is on. I never thought I'd be excited for a Bellator card over a UFC card, but... It's the best fight, at least on paper, in Bellator history. And two guys who could be top five in the UFC, AJ McKee challenging Patricio Pitbull for one of his two Bellator titles, the featherweight title. I mean, Pitbull is below Volkanovski and Holloway, but is around the same level as Ortega, maybe above Ortega. Um, I mean, I would give him a decent chance against Ortega, probably like 55-45, him versus Ortega. And then AJ McKee is, you know, on a level with the Korean Zombie and uh, guys like that. So, yeah, these are really, really good fighters. Two of the, you know, three or four best fighters in, the, in, in Bellator. Yeah, so we won't get into that tonight, but just for people listening, we will be doing our first ever all Bellator episode tomorrow night because we are both very excited about that card. So, Val, why don't you give us the wrap-up? How did we do last week? So last week was great and it sucked because it was great because I feel like I made the right reads on, at, well, at, at, on three out of the four plays. Um, it sucked because we were robbed on one of them, and it's not just me being salty. I accept my losses, but there was a, there's been polls up like ninety five percent of people believed Miranda Maverick beat Macy Barber. Um, on uh, Verdict MMA, there was a massive difference. Basically, Macy Barber won or lost by like one and a half rounds on Verdict MMA. She out, uh, was outstruck by Miranda Maverick by th- over three times the strikes in round one and over two times the strikes in round two. She lo- and uh, she still lost. She clearly lost round three. She coasted and lost. So I'm not going to dwell on it too much. Just wanted to say that I still feel I made the right read and I would do it again. Um, but that's minus a unit. Ian Heinish couldn't put his wrestling game that his teammate had already put into effect against Imavov to good use, and he also got knocked out, or he got knocked out minus 1.2 units. Um, Adrian Yanez had a great comeback uh, and knocked out Randy Costa in round two. So that was, shoot, what was that? That was plus 0.71 units, and... TJ Dillashaw won a split decision, a razor-thin decision. Could have gone either way against Corey Sandhagen, plus 0.83 units. So overall, we were 2-2 two two for minus 
uh, 0.66 units, basically minus two thirds of a unit. Should have been three and one for plus 1.05 units, but you know that's MMA. We we go into this knowing that the judges are are awful at times. Yeah, um, like you, I don't want to uh, cry about spilt milk or whatever. It's over. That's what happened. But that uh, Maverick Barber fight was. I, I could watch it a hundred times, and sometimes I'll rewatch a fight and go, well, I can see, but I could watch that fight a hundred times, and I can't see how Maverick lost it. Yeah, yeah. There was another horrible decision on the card, too, where Kyler Phillips should have definitely got a 10-8 round, but I'm not going to get into that. We didn't talk about it in depth last week or have a play on it. But, yeah, on to the next, you know. We get up, and we dust ourselves off and keep going. We didn't lose much. Uh, not even a full unit, which is how you, if you're gonna lose, you like to lose small. Yeah. So, all right. Next week. Right. So this week. Right? Yeah. So here we are, and uh, like we both already expressed, not a very exciting card. There's a we're a, we're only gonna talk about four fights, and we got to pick at least five for our don't be a pussy parlay. <laughs> so uh, we won't even cover all the. Uh, Picks we make, not necessarily um, official bets, but uh, why don't why don't you get into right where yeah. you want to start on this card? Well, as far as the don't be a pussy parlay, I mean, I think that Rafa Garcia and Brian Barberena are very very likely to win, but they're huge favorites around minus three hundred, and I saw no reason in covering those fights as I see no value there. Um, it, it, their opponents are just not that good, so it's not like super interesting. Uh, but yeah, so the first fight we're going to talk about is one that was previously scheduled uh, two months ago, two and a half months ago or so, Ryan Benoit versus Zaruk Adashev. Um, and this one, we we had to bet back then, but it was, uh, it was a fight was all, called off. Ryan Benoit looked bad on the scale. He was like four pounds over. He had a bad weight cut, um, but he assured the UFC that he got his weight cut in order. I mean, he's not a big flyweight, so there had to be something pretty wrong. I mean, he's... Smaller than some pretty small flyweights, like like Brandon Moreno, average size flyweight. Benoit fought him, and Benoit was smaller. And one thing for Benoit, he I think he's the only fighter to ever knock out Sergio Pettis, Anthony Pettis's brother and current Bellator bantamweight champion, and he's the only person to ever knock down Brandon Moreno, our current flyweight champion. Even though he lost the decision, a split decision, I think in that fight it was. Yeah, split decision in 2016. But I'll get into the more technical aspects here. Um, Ryan Benoit is a three-time All-State uh, wrestling guy. What do you call it? Just he's three times All-State in high school in wrestling, as well as a state he, champion. Yeah, and uh, being being All-State is uh, because I've never been All-State, but I've been to the state championships a couple of times. Being All-State is a big deal in a. Uh, being being the state champion in a in a wrestling state is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, and usually we talk about college wrestling credentials, but he didn't go to college. He turned pro or not turned pro, but he started doing MMA right after high school. And after only a year of training and amateur fights, he went pro at 19 years of age. Um, so he trains and fights with Muay Thai base now, but he still uses his wrestling occasionally. He is on a two-fight losing streak, but against good opponents, and he has an argument for winning both of those fights. I already mentioned how he lost to Brandon Moreno. Um, that was after trading wins and losses for a while in the UFC. 
So his UFC record isn't great. It's like three and five because he went one and one, one and one, one and one, and then lost two. But his losses are his first two losses are 2013, 2015 to mediocre competition. But then Brandon Moreno, Alatang Haley, and Tim Elliott. Right, that, Brandon Moreno and Tim Elliott are title challengers. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is uh, his last three losses have all been to legit people? And they were yeah. they were all decision losses, and two of them were split. So he didn't get yeah he didn't get really blown out in any of them. And those are all uh, legit guys. Yeah, for sure. And and the the Altong Haley fight, Altong Haley is a good fighter at bantamweight. He fought up at bantamweight for that fight and f- still fought to a split decision. I'll get more into that in a bit. Um, after the Moreno fight, he got a head kick knockout versus Mokhtarian. Which that that was just a really impressive uh, fight or knockout. He has eight of his ten career victories by knockout. He has one rear naked choke and only one decision win. He's never been knocked out. Five losses are by decision, two by rear naked choke. He has a lot of power for a flyweight. Uh, they're the same height, but Benoit has a 3.5 inch reach advantage, which is which is huge at 125 pounds. You normally don't see that at 125. Um, Benoit is a short rhythm fighter moving side to side. He takes small steps forward when he advances methodically. He's orthodox. He's able to switch stances, though. He uses a one-two very well. Um, he showed a powerful straights, straight punches in the Mokhtarian fight. After even after he broke his right hand early on and he had to switch stances, his left straight was still quite powerful. He got frustrated by Mokhtarian circling around him constantly, then darting into strike. It was like a boring point fight to start. The crowd, I think it was an Australian crowd, didn't like it. You know how they get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they, they they started booing. Um, and Benoit, he did get stunned and hit once by a big left hand from Mokhtarian, which his one of his big flaws is he keeps his own hands quite low defensively. But then he got him back at the end of the round. Um he relies on head movement and sliding out of range far too much, although his head movement is really good. Uh, his left hook is a great punch of his, checking the opponent with it often on entries. The head kick it really gets up there fast and catches opponents by surprise, especially when he hides it behind a, a feint, which is uh, what he did to Mokhtarian somewhat. He timed Mokhtarian for the head kick cleanly when Mokhtarian drew back his left hand to throw his the overhand left hand punch. He'd been throwing the whole fight, um, so he just brought the head kick up there quickly while Mokhtarian threw that loop, looping punch. Uh, it was a beautiful knockout, and in the pro site press conference, Benoit impressed me by being really clear-headed. Fighters after a fight are often, you know, all pumped up on adrenaline and screaming and stuff, getting just, thank you, thank you, I want to thank everybody, but he was calm and he analyzed uh, the, the, the knockout really well while watching it back. Uh, and that just showed me a good striking IQ of his, based on what he said. Yeah, um, fight he IQ. Alatang Haley. Yeah, he fought Alatang Haley at bantamweight, so it wasn't a surprise he lost. But he had a real argument for winning that fight. I watched it twice, and I scored it each time. I scored it differently. One, the first time I scored it for Benoit. Second time I scored it for Alatang Haley. So that's just a, a, a. It was a good performance against a guy much bigger than him. His power even held up to bad bantamweight uh, with several body kicks that hurt Alatang Haley from open stances in that fight. I like that he uses body work a lot, and it's not just his kicks. He'll dig to the body when opponents don't expect it. He had a slow starting and low volume problem before, 
that fight, but in that fight, he made a point to come out of the gate strong. His octagon control was good, uh, forcing Haley to circle around towards his power side in Southpaw for those body kicks and straight lefts. When he establishes that power kick to the body or the legs and then varies the location of it, it becomes extremely dangerous. Um, Alatang Haley wrestled him to win the third round after argu arguably losing the first two, and Benoit was able to get up and avoid damage on the bottom, but the three minutes of control time from three separate takedowns was enough to ice the round, despite Benoit landing triple the significant strikes in that fight, so the judges gave it to uh, Haley, but the, uh, I gave that round to Benoit because of the, the, the strikes landed. Um, that was arguably his best performance that I've seen. Especially because even though he in a loss, because considering he was fighting a bantamweight who was a great striker and a Chinese national team wrestler, um, against Tim Elliott, he had by far the more damage landed, which I always scored that fight for him. But uh, Tim Elliott won the decision because of a bit of second round top control time that he didn't do much with. Uh, it's one of those fights that the new rules implemented in 2017 should have had Benoit winning on damage, I thought, uh, because Tim Elliott had control time, which doesn't score as much as damage, even damage from the bottom, weaker damage. And in the third round, he uh, looked sharper, but it was just a case of volume. He just didn't throw enough strikes, so I understand the judges giving it to Elliott, even though I disagree. I mean, when I say it's just a case of volume, he didn't throw enough. I mean, it's just a case of him not throwing enough volume, but he looked really sharp uh, striking overall. Sorry, clearing that up. So, Benoit is a wrestler, as I said before, although he likes to stand and trade with his Muay Thai. Um, but he is able to get takedowns by hiding entries with strikes. He has decent takedown defense himself. After a while, he felt like he had neglected his jiu-jitsu, so he went to Syndicate MMA. He, he seemed to have learned a lot because even when Alatang Haley and Tim Elliott took him down, he was able to get up and minimize what they could do on top of him. Against Tim Elliott, who is known for his wrestling uh, in judo, he stuffed most of the takedowns, but one he couldn't stuff, he dove to the ground and grabbed an ankle, forcing Elliott to step out, and then he took Elliott's back. I mean, uh, a maneuver like that isn't something you usually see from guys who were not that long ago talking about how bad their jiu-jitsu was. He tried to take Tim down himself, but got reversed by a guillotine and mounted, but then almost got a knee bar, um, which Elliot was kind of insane to not tap to that, uh, but he didn't, and they ended up in a 50-50, which just, a, again, a scramble like that where he gets mounted, gets in a mounted guillotine, but then gets out of it and grabs a knee bar and almost finishes it. Yeah. It just shows how much his BJJ is coming along. Yeah, that's that's kind of high-level shit. Uh, really, when you see guys, uh, a lot of their um, guys learning BJJ who aren't black belts or whatever, um, they have they have counter BJJ and uh, defensive skills, but it, he showed the ability to... Uh, to reverse and you know what I mean have have offensive moves when he looks like he should be in a defensive position. He's yeah, he's pretty yeah. good for not someone that you would call a high level BJJ guy. For sure, for sure. And so I I've laid some good things out about him, but he's not amazing by any stretch of the means. Though he shows flashes like the head kick knockout and the knockdown of Brandon Moreno and the knockout of Sergio Pettis. I mean, having 8 out of 10 wins as knockouts at flyweight is impressive, no matter how you look at it. But this, the reason I like this, and the reason I looked at this 
uh, play, even though it doesn't stand out as far for super exciting on this card, is more of a, fa a fade of Adashev than it is uh, betting on Benoit, although it is partially betting on Benoit. Zruk Adashev has a, also has a Muay Thai kickboxing background. He was a pro kickboxer, 16-3, and three, with, and a silver medalist at the World Kickboxing Games, which sounds impressive, but kickboxing medals and, and, and fights come a dime a dozen. There's so many different kickboxing organizations, and none of them are very big except for, like, Glory and K1 a bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> no, I I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, but I just laugh because because yeah, a lot of the kickboxing stuff really doesn't hold any weight. It's like a it's like regional MMA a lot of times. Yeah, it is. I mean, Ashev was fighting out of uh, I mean, he started fighting out of Mongolia or Uzbekistan, I believe, and most of his fights were were in that region. Some of them in China, I believe, from what I looked at. Um, so yeah, he's a switch stance fighter. Uh, he fought a Bellator can in, in his, uh, one of his two fights in Bellator in his first win. He was, uh, it was just easy for him to hit this guy early and often. Um, but that's against a total can opponent when he was 0-1 himself and his opponent was also 0-1. He likes his leg kicks from Orthodox. Uh, the can he fought, who was some wrestler who clearly had never really struck with anyone good and had no business being in there with a, a pro kickboxer, which that's the Bellator way. Uh, this guy got hit with everything but the kitchen sink and didn't go down, but the ref saw enough and, and called it off after about a minute. Um, I was more impressed with Adeshev's wrestling defense than anything there. Uh, his power wasn't enough to knock down a guy who had no idea what to do defensively. Um, and, and had only had one was, uh, that would be his second loss in, uh, pro MMA. So it's good. I guess he was able to hit this guy a lot, but it's not so good that, uh, he couldn't knock him down. Um, Adeshev also fought at bantamweight in his UFC debut against Tyson Nam, who is known as a big hitter, but, uh, is is known also known for some alcohol problems and and some weight misses aside from that um Adeshev also looked quite out of shape and missed weight at at which is at bantamweight the weight class above his usual one i don't know what to make of that maybe he had personal issues who knows Adeshev likes to blitz forward suddenly throwing hooks switching stances as he does it which from a technical standpoint that's the only good part of it is that he's switching stances but you, especially on the UFC level, you don't want to rush forward just throwing wild hooks. And that's the mark of an inexperienced striker, or especially an inexperienced MMA striker. Kickboxing can be a different story. But when you blitz forward like that, you're just asking to get countered by a jab and dropped. Um, when he's not blitzing in, he's almost always backing up, which Benoit can exploit uh, to his advantage. Uh, Tyson Nam... In the Tyson Nam versus Adeshev fight, Tyson Nam countered uh, Adeshev's low kick with a with a right hook and put him out cold, one punch, with within thirty seconds of his debut. Um, Adeshev let his left hand fall down when he threw that leg kick, which is bad, and the right hook, uh, or and he tried to throw a right hook of his own that never landed. Tam uh, Nam just bopped him on the chin because his hand wasn't there to protect himself as he threw a kick. 
is, is that easy when, when you don't protect yourself and you rush forward wildly. Um, as far as grappling, uh, Adeshev was able to defend desperate takedowns from Bellator cans. He eventually uh, reversed one and got on uh, a dude's back. This is the uh, Tevin Dice fight. He got on his back and almost rear naked choked him. He went for an arm bar after, but that failed, and he ended up in bottom full guard. Uh, he used an arm bar again, but this time to sweep and end up on top. So he has a bit he can do from the bottom, but his I don't know what belt he is in jiu-jitsu, but it, it must be quite low as he came over from kickboxing. And the arm bar he went for, I don't believe will work against. I mean, it didn't even succeed the first time, and then he used it to sweep the second time. I don't believe he'll even be able to to lock that up against against someone like Benoit who has uh 17 pro fights of experience instead of just four so like i said i think this is a fate of adeshev mostly he he won't be able to uh get takedowns because that's not his game if he is taken down i don't see him being able to do much and even if he does it would just be to get back up where i think also benoit has the advantage um I think this line is a product of Benoit's uh, last two losses uh, in 2019 and 2020, and then before that, not fighting since 2017. He was out for 2018. But anyway, you look at it, even in in, uh, July 2020 against Tim Elliott, in his loss, he still looked good. And so I put much more stake in uh, Ryan Benoit's last two losses then Zerugadashev's last two losses as they're both on a two loss streak I think Benoit will be able to counter him all day be able to hurt him with leg kicks potentially um yeah so so this one if we go and take a look at the odds alright so I mean we go to uh, fightodds.io to check out the lines um this one last time I believe it was minus 150 for Benoit um, as a result of the weight cut issues, and perhaps that, I mean, I have to believe that's why. I, it opened this time at minus 140-ish, and has bounced around. Some places have gone down to minus 130, some places up to minus 150, some places moved around and stayed at 140. Um, the best I think we can get it at, at least on a site that I have, is minus 132. Which you can get on, uh, you can get on, on Pinnacle, My Bookie, Bet Any Sports. You can get minus one thirty-five on sites like Bovada and DraftKings and Five Dimes. So yeah, I'm gonna roll with minus one. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say if someone's got William Harris, they got him at one thirty, which is pretty good. Nice. Um, and what minus one twenty-nine on Cloud Bet, which yeah, I don't have. But yeah, so minus one thirty-two is what we're rolling with. Um, th- I think Adeshev, again, it, he might be, I've said this before about guys like Jerome Rivera, but Adeshev might be one of the worst, or if not the worst, fighter in the UFC. That's male. Um, I mean, he's he has a 3-3 three and three pro record, and Which records I, can be misleading, but that's a, it, it, yeah, that one isn't misleading. No, I don't see how you even get into the UFC with a 3-3 three and three record, really. Yeah. And, uh... It's really, I mean... To me, he was three and one at the time, but now, now he's three and three. And this, if he loses this fight, he's probably getting cut, which could give him some more motivation. I just don't. There's not many paths to victory here for him. I don't think. Uh, and the one, I, I agree with your analysis as well. Um, uh, how many units did you say you're putting on? 
this? I didn't say yet. So this is complicated because of the weight missed by Benoit before. Um, so I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with one and a half units, but I want to do two units. I just want to make sure he makes weight successfully and looks fine doing so. Um, I usually don't like to wait for weigh-ins because it's usually not worth the time and you'll usually lose value by doing so. But in this case, I'm going to put 1.5 units in and add either a half or maybe a full extra unit uh, at the, after the weigh-ins on Friday. And uh, the only thing I have to add, because I agree with everything you said, and uh, my money is definitely on Benoit as well, but he's another one of those, I talk about it a lot, the wrestlers that really are more strikers in MMA. I really believe in that core strength and their ability to throw punches. We've documented it a hundred times on this podcast, and he's one of those guys. He he just he has power in all his punches. You know, yeah. he's he's very good. He's a wrestler by trade, but because of that thick, strong core, everything he throws is uh it's solid and has weight behind it. And I think he's gonna win this one. I agree with you completely. Um yeah, yeah, and that's that. That's why he was able to knock down Brandon Moreno, who has an, one of the best chins in the UFC. Uh, that's why, and and I think that also helps them survive punches. Why he's able to have never been knocked out, even facing some some, some big hitters in, in the UFC. Yeah, because wrestlers also have thick, strong necks, so they can absorb punches. Yep. Yeah, Yoel Romero is probably the best example <laughs> yeah. of that. Um, All right, so where are um, we going? Oh, anything else you want to add on this one? No, 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 just moving on to the next. Yeah, where are we going from here? All right, so we're moving on to Ronnie Lawrence versus Trevin Jones, which is probably the fight I'm looking forward to most on this card. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a really good fight um, between two guys who match up well differently but both have good... Uh, Good wrestling and good striking, just different styles. Um, we'll start with Ronnie Lawrence. This guy is a cardio machine, a pace machine. Like He's just a big ball of energy. He has great volume wrestling and volume striking. He, This is a, a combination I, we haven't seen before of martial arts. He has a kung fu striking background and a, and a wrestling background. So he's a kung fu wrestler. Um, which, uh, you always love to see new styles coming into MMA. Uh, he has great cardio, like I said, even for bantamweight. Like, all bantamweights have some level of cardio. But this guy, he still has boundless energy after a fight. After one fight he won, he just ran around the ring in circles, Clay Guida style. Uh, <laughs> and he can he can go at an extremely high pace for three rounds. He can probably go for six, seven rounds at a good pace. Uh, which is an important part of his style. He cross-trains out of ATT at Sunset, uh, you know, a subset of ATT, and Sanford MMA, which his game has come a long way since uh, moving there recently. Uh, he had his UFC debut back in February, and he got a ground-and-pound stoppage in the third round after a, just a totally dominant performance, which was mostly in the wrestling department, but he showed good striking, too, on the feet. Um, he was out for 2017 and 2018 due to a bad leg injury, which was came after his first pro loss. But since he came back in 2019, he's won four straight um, with no losses. Uh, in the striking department, he comes out using a lot of lateral movement, circling the cage, uh, stop, uh, 
stopping just to throw leg kicks, especially those calf kicks, which have entered the meta recently, and side kicks from a bladed stance as he's moving. He measures distance well with his jab before throwing various kicks, which make up most of his striking arsenal. I mean, he has good punches, but his kicks are where the meat is really at. His calf kicks have even dropped opponents in the past. He, he doesn't use them so often that they're expected, though, and so they often take the legs out from under the opponents because they don't have time to shift their weight off of that leg. Uh, he likes spinning body kicks and round kicks to the body. He, like, he really likes attacking the body, which he also does with his hands, but he loves the kicks to the body to make opponents drop their hands. Um, though sometimes one negative is that he does get too spin-happy with the heel kicks, even though they're effective when, when he uses them, you know, a couple times here and there. He, he likes to get the collar tie and attack knee, from knees, with knees from there. Um, his defensive area is the most troubling, although he hasn't faced anyone who could really hurt him or cause him damage. He's been very confident in every fight, but he just defends mostly by just gliding out of range, which he could stand to bring his hands up more. He's too hittable at times, and against Trevin Jones' power, that is quite dangerous because that's what Trevin Jones is or has become, a power puncher. But he's, he's a good unorthodox volume striker that just moves, moves around constantly using that uh, cardio and energy to his advantage. As far as wrestling though, I mean that's his bread and butter. He attacks strong double legs quickly uh, and suddenly, often feints his jab then ducks in. He, he snatches single legs from the clinch and changes angles to sit opponents down. He uses reactive takedowns. He has all sorts of trips, sweeps, and reaps. Just so many ways to get opponents to the ground. In his two UFC fights, or his Dana White Contender Series fight and his UFC fight, he has scored 12 and 8 takedowns respectively on 26 total attempts, so 20 out of 26 total takedowns landed, which is super impressive. He's good at maintaining top position in scrambles. Wherever his opponents go, he'll just flow with it to stay in top position. Um, he's always moving on top too, tapping into that energy of his, trying to always earn a better position, whether it's flattening his opponents out or passing guard or using ground and pound or just working to improve the placement of arms or legs slightly, grab slightly better wrist control, whatever it may be. He's always shifting and moving on top. His pace and pressure usually wear down opponents uh, by taking them into deep waters. I don't want to compare him to Khabib because it's not a great comparison, but that, you know, that's the type of thing you see from guys like Khabib is just taking their opponents to deep water and making them quit because you have better, you're better conditioned than them and they can't get up. And if they do get up, you take them right back down. Um, one concern for Lawrence is his level of competition as he doesn't have a signature win yet. Trevor Jones has fought much better competition. Uh, guys like Ricky Tercios, um, uh, Timur Valiev we beat uh th those are those are some pretty good wins yeah these um, guys are um he's fought better guys but these guys are both still um pretty raw on the actual ufc circuit yeah yeah i mean they both have two fights that are technically under the ufc banner if we include the dana white contender series fight which uh ufc stats includes that so sure i will too um but at least Lawrence uh, has dominated in, in, in all fights since his injury. He's been totally dominant. Um, that's what you want to see. If a guy's fighting lower competition, he can't control his competition. He can only control what he does against them. 
But on to Trevin Jones. Trevin Jones, so I've been told he's a no-gi grappling champion, though I'm not sure under what banner he's a champion. Um, and he strikes more than he grapples in MMA, usually. In the UFC so far, he has mainly just been a big hitter. He won his first UFC, two UFC fights, both as an underdog, which is interesting because that's what he is here again. Both by second round knockout and both with his lead right hook from Southpaw Stance, which is one of his best weapons, if not his best weapon. The first one was overturned to a no contest for marijuana, but we, you know, we count that. We, it, It's not a performance enhancing drug, so we count that. And... In the future, that or now, that won't be an issue because they've uh, stopped testing for it. In that first fight, um, he was seriously hurt by Timur Valiev, who we've talked about before. We've talked about this fight before. And the fight arguably should have been stopped, but he showed great heart to get back up and get back into the fight after being dropped. Uh, and, oh, like, he was being pounded on badly. The ref just kept letting it go and letting it go. Um, but to his credit, he was able to stay, stay in it after after uh, he kind of recovered and the ref let it go um, he got hurt to the body badly that's what led to him being uh, knocked down or that's what dropped him he just kind of curled over after the body shot which uh, as I said Ronnie Lawrence loves to work the body and that that's something to watch out for he's shown weakness to rangy volume strikers which Lawrence is but he also has shown an ability to survive and put guys out despite being a lower volume guy um However, I think that is one of his uh, knockout is one of his main paths to victory. A decision is not nearly as likely to go to his way. His cardio isn't the level of Ronnie Lawrence, and he isn't as much of a point scorer as Ronnie Lawrence is. He's just constantly touching you with those kung fu style kicks, um, which a knockout artist is what everyone wants to be. But it is at especially at lower weight classes like bantamweight, and especially once you get to the UFC, it's a much lower percentage method of victory. You're not going to win every fight by knockout at bantamweight. You're just not. Um, even if you're like Corey Sandhagen, you'll go to the decision decision sometime, like we saw recently. Um, there is some evidence though that goes against this his KO power, which is that until his 12th pro fight, he hadn't knocked anyone out. And now in uh, 19 fights, he has just four KOs. Which so that means four KOs in his last seven fights, which is good. But overall, this power is somewhat newfound. Um, so he has earned a reputation among people who know him as a knockout artist, just because both of his UFC not fights were knockouts. Right. But it's just it's just a tough thing to to decide. Uh, two UFC knockouts and two fights. Versus two regional knockouts in 17 fights. If you look at his two opponents in the UFC, Tim Ravaliev can be said to have a somewhat weak chin despite having a lot of talent. But the same is definitely not true for Bautista, who he put out. Um, regardless, Trevin's striking style is much calmer, slow-paced and methodical, preferring to land one punch or leg kick at a time, maybe two, like he'll throw a one-two from time to time, or a three-four, or a, a two-three. Um... And he likes to stay at a comfortable range for a long time between strikes, whereas Ronnie will stay at range, but then he'll dart in and out, in and out a lot, using those kicks much, much more frequently than Trevin Jones. Um, yeah, and that that comfortable that comfortableness, that keeping his range, it was disturbed a lot by uh, Timur Valiev, who, as I said, Ronnie Lawrence shares some similarities with as far as distance striking.
And if it goes the distance in a striking-based fight, the greater volume will almost always carry the day, unless Trevin Jones is consistently managing knockdowns, you know? Um, this, this stat has to be taken with a grain of salt, because Trevin doesn't even have 15 minutes of USC fight time yet, but Trevin only has 35% striking defense. Him and Ronnie both land about 3.8 strikes per minute, but Ronnie only absorbs one strike per minute back, whereas Trevin absorbs a crazy total of 6.8 strikes per minute. Uh, just had to throw that out there because it's it's a pretty big stat, but it doesn't tell the whole story because most of that is from one fight, though he he gave as good as he got before uh, putting out uh, Bati Mario Batista in that fight. It was pretty even striking-wise. Um... In his last fight before the UFC uh, on the Korean circuit, Trevin Jones was controlled on the ground and allowed four out of four takedowns to start that fight. But then uh, a bit into the second round, his opponent tried a mat return from a front choke position and it failed. Trevin just used his strength to drive forward. He drove his opponent back onto his back. He ended up on top and he choked out the opponent pretty quickly. On one hand, a stoppage win is good. On the other hand, he didn't show anything special off his back he uh he he was taken down each time and he didn't show that uh, that uh jujitsu brown belt or that supposed nogi championship which again i don't that's that's just what i've been told it's not i haven't found concrete proof to say it though it was told uh, someone who i believe is a good analyst told me that um so that, that BJJ brown belt seems to be best served when he gets on top, which will be hard versus the spark plug Ronnie, who's great in scrambles and never gives up until he gets top position. Or even when he gets top position, he still goes. Um, but so it just is worrying for him that he has been controlled on the ground and only got freed because of the round ending and, and the times he, a couple times he got up on his own, but he was immediately mat returned. Um, the one time his opponent went for a front choke, and yeah, he was able to drive back on them. So that's just what I saw, though. I have to say, it's hard to find tape for a lot of Trevin's fights. It took place in obscure Korean and some European circuits, for the most part, rather than usual organizations that feed into the UFC, like LFA and Cage Warriors. Yeah. Which, um, since you mentioned that again, and you were wondering, he was the champion in that Korean league, the Pacific Extreme Championship. That's where he won his belt. Yeah, so the one, yeah, so that, that yes, that was back in like 2016. The, the fight I'm talking about is Takafumi Otsuka in Deep 89 Impact. But yes, he, he, he was a champion. In, and so he went to Korea, left Korea for, uh, for uh, Russia, ACA. And then went back to Korea for Deep 89 Impact. And then he got the call for the UFC after that rear naked choke. Yep. Um, so, but yeah, so it's possible he showed the ability to get up off his back more or to threaten subs and sweeps from the bottom uh, elsewhere that I couldn't find. But And that some of the links on uh, sites where they show you these links were broken. Some of the links were broken and I, just to, to his fights. Um, but I can only go off what I see, and what I saw leads me to believe that he will have trouble defending Ronnie's takedowns and trouble getting back up. Um, when takedowns are attempted on him, he almost always goes down without resistance and then uses some grappling maneuver to escape, like trying a Granby roll or just giving his back to stand back up. And this is not great at all 
to, against a guy who has more cardio than him, who can just mat return him time and time again, and will flow with him wherever he goes. I've, I mean, I've seen Ronnie myself. I've seen him roll through Granby rolls with the guy and stay on their back. Um, and giving up his back is very dangerous. I've seen him flattened out on his belly, getting ground pound and being saved by the bell. As far as offensive wrestling, Trevin does have decent offensive wrestling, but I haven't seen it against anyone good, anyone UFC level. In the UFC, he only has one takedown, and he didn't do anything with it, which it came against Timur Valiev, and he's been stuffed on four attempts uh, total. So he has one, he's one out of five in the UFC on his takedowns. When he does get in top position, he mostly just stays in full guard and ground and pound. Sometimes if he, gets, if he ends up in better than full guard, He'll, like, a half guard or side control, he will work for the sub. But if he's in full guard, he's content to stay there and win the round on control and mild grounded pound. Um, so this one, well, again, we'll, we'll go to the odds, see what we got. This one was really interesting to me. At first, I was excited for it, but I didn't have any plans whatsoever to bet it because the odds were, were just uh, a bit much. Ronnie Lawrence is minus 200. Trevin Jones like plus 170 I thought if anything there's some value on Trevin Jones here but then the lines uh all of a sudden across all books shot down from 200 to to 140 ish yeah. and they have been hovering around there back up to like minus 150 on most books now so it it, it is it is interesting uh I think Ronnie Lawrence gets the win I don't the value isn't amazing but I think there is value here um value at what i'm gonna go with is the the minus uh 147 i think that's that's the best ones i got at five dimes yeah yeah and i'm bet online um so yeah minus 147 for ronnie lawrence on bet online i'm going with three quarters of a unit 0.75 units so that's the play i just think uh ronnie lawrence it's, it's a good fight but trevin's jones does has less path to vic paths to victory um, Lawrence is a better offensive wrestler and a better defensive wrestler. I won't say he's a better striker, but he's a more voluminous striker. Jones, to win a striking duel, Jones probably has to put him out, which he has shown ability to do, but it's newfound and it, it's not proven to be consistent in his career yet. If he does it again and again, maybe I'll have to look at it as consistent. And he has is a threat to do it, but I can't see knockouts as a consistent path to victory at bantamweight for a guy like this yet um so yeah i'm going with with ronnie lawrence uh uh for three quarters of a unit i kind of saw this one the same way i i looked at this fight a little bit and uh we knew we weren't going to talk about tons of fights but this is one of the fights i had flagged i think this will be a great fight it's very early in the whole card but i think this is one of the ones to watch really yeah, I mean, this one reminds me, it's different stylistically, but it reminds me of Yanez versus Costa last week. Two prospects being matched up at the, in the bantamweight division, my my personal favorite division, uh, which it's close to lightweight, but I give that just to bantamweight these days. It's just popping off. Um, they don't usually don't put two prospects against each other. These guys match up well for a fun fight. Um, they have similar skill sets, but one just has more cardio, and I think that'll win him the day, like it won Giannis the day last week against Randy Costa. All right, so now on to that, that uh, co-main event. Kyung Ho Kang, Mr. Perfect, excuse me, versus Ronnie Yaya, who, Ronnie Yaya is a legend. I mean, he's not like, a, um, he's not like an Anderson Silva legend or whatever, but he's like, 
a guy who's been around the UFC forever. He's been fighting since, I mean, since WEC 36. No, 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 before that. WEC 28 in 2007. Um, he's grappled at ADDC, fought in everywhere, every, everywhere, really. I mean, he's fought Mike Brown, Chad Mendez, Joe Benavidez, Eddie Wineland, all, all uh, the Josh Grisby. That's all the legends of WEC. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And he fought on Faber cards. Uh, Donald Cerrone cards, Oliver versus Faber at WC48. So yeah, I. But he's not gained ever gained like a super amount of attention among casual fan base because he's a specialist. He's like a Demi and Maya, but on a less prolific level. Um, he, but he he still is a, a great specialist. I mean, his UFC record he only has. Like four losses. Okay, one sec. One, two, three, four. He's got a draw. and twelve. He is. He's. Yeah. He's twelve, four, and one in the UFC, which is a great record. Yeah. He's twenty-seven and ten overall, and he doesn't have any striking ability. He has okay takedown ability, but he's one of the best MMA grapplers ever. He's just a total jujitsu ace. Um. On the other hand, you have Kyung Ho Kang, who's a good grappler in his own right. Um, but has has not fought nearly as good competition. His best win is probably Teruto Ishihara or Guido Canetti, both of which he choked out. But he went to split decision in his last two wins versus Brandon Davis and Pinguan Liu, who aren't great, especially Brandon Davis. He lost to Ricardo Hamos, who's a good fighter. Um, he's he's a better striker than Ronnie Aya, no no question about that. Um. But Ronnie Haya has such a level of MMA grappling that you can't count him out against anyone. He has like 33% uh, takedown accuracy, which is better than some uh, uh, jiu-jitsu specialists like Damian Maya and Brian Ortega. So you can get the fight to the ground and you can choke people out. But Kyung Ho Kang is, is a good grappler in his own right, like I said, and uh, c- could defend the choke and uh, could touch Ronnie Yaya up to a decision on the feet or maybe even knock him out. Although that's that's much, much, much easier said than done. He hasn't been knocked out since 2009 against Joe B. Yeah. So just had to address it. It's, I don't I don't see any particular value here. Ronnie Yaya is like plus 115. Um, and he's getting he's getting older, 36. He's uh, he's on the down the tailward end of his career, though you can't count him out yet. Um, he's still submitting guys. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's it's a fun a grappling match. Yeah, this will be it, fun. It'll probably end up on the ground. This will be fun. Uh, the only thing I would say is uh, Kyung Ho Kang. Like uh, his last two decisions were both split, and then he got a uh, against Ishihara. He got a technical submission, rear naked. And then submission, then uh, against Tanaka. Yeah, then against Tanaka, he got another split. Um, This will be fun to watch because it will be a huge grappling match, but I I have to give the edge here to Yaya. You know what I mean? If people wanna, if people wanna throw out a few dollars or whatever, we're not we're not recommending this. But I give the edge to Yaya on this one. 
So I think it's 50-50, which does give me the edge to Yaya on the value side, but that also must, might just be because I like him a lot. I mean, I tried to take bias out of it, and I didn't dive super in-depth because I think it, think it is a 50-50 fight. But I, I do like Rani Yaya. Like, just in general, I like him. He's 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 a good... He's he's a long-time uh, fighter, and, and just I like him overall. Like, watching him yeah. fight. Like, watching him submit dudes constantly. Yeah, and I like your assessment. He's a... He's a, a step down from Damian Maya. You know what I mean? If you want to just see a yeah. guy that knows his BJJ, Ronnie Yaya is the guy to watch. He's he's yeah. one he's dimensional, but he's style. so good at it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So on to the main event, which is I don't want to say it's a terrible main event, but it, it's as far as main events go, it's it's certainly a step down from like Sandhagen versus Dillashaw. We have uh, Uriah Hall. Um, he's ranked 8th in the world against John Strickland, I think number 10 in the world um, in the UFC rankings at middleweight. John Strickland, I mean, he has been kind of on the low key in the UFC for a while. Uh, he goes back to UFC 171 in 2014. He has 9 UFC wins uh, and 3 UFC losses. Those 3 losses are all at welterweight to... Uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio decision, Kamaru Usman decision, and Elizio Zaleski dos Santos by spinning hook kick, which is how he gets everybody by some kind of spinning shit. Um, those are his only three losses. He's beaten guys like Tom Brees, Court McGee, Nordin Taleb, Brendan Allen, who we saw fight last week. Talked that to win that aged well for Strickland because Brendan Allen's now on a streak of his own, and Christoph Yotko in his last last fight. Um, last may april sorry april um sean strickland is what we what i call meat and potatoes guy you know he's all he has the meat the jab and the potatoes the straight right and he's very much down the middle with them even like kind of turning his arms like bending them inwards a little bit as he throws it's a little bit of an awkward style and he kind of plods forward, but he does get in very well behind that jab. He likes to stay on his back foot and come forward so that, you know, his weight isn't shifted all the way forward for leg kicks or, or counter strikes to hit him. And he comes forward behind that jab, which he pumps out there very, very long uh, just to close that range, which stylistically, that's a huge problem for Uriah Hall, which uriah hall what we know what uriah hall is all about he's about low volume really really low volume and then putting someone out with with some crazy shit um the infamous i mean he was touted as the next anderson silva after the the knockouts he had on tough yep season 17 the spinning hook kick of adam sella living in infamy um but then he lost the finale to kevin kelvin gastelum but he was still hyped up and he has never lived up to that hype i mean I feel like it's partially Dana White's fault because Dana was the one being like, oh, yeah, this guy, this guy's legit. He's a champion. He's Anderson Silva 2.0, blah, blah, blah. And he just, he can put people out. I mean, he has spinning back kicks. He has all kinds of knockouts. Uh, but not as many as you'd expect from Anderson Silva 2.0. And he's losing to guys you wouldn't expect like he got knocked out by Derek Brunson that's not something Anderson 2.0 should be doing even no. Anderson Silva senior when he was 43 or whatever he beat Derek Brunson um so it's a bit of a it's just like what does the UFC do with Uriah now at age 36 I guess he's making he's doing the one last run thing he's on a four fight win streak 
beat Bevon Lewis by knockout, shoe face by split decision, and then his last two fights, he won technically by knockout, but also they didn't do much for him because he beat Anderson Silva in his last fight, Anderson's last UFC fight by knockout after losing most of the fight, which is what he does. He doesn't he doesn't win decisions because he doesn't throw punches. He barely barely throws punches. He's one of the lowest volume striking specialists in the UFC ever. But Anderson charged him in round four and got knocked out. And then, again, at UFC 261, Chris Weidman, obviously we all know what happened. Chris Weidman's leg snapped, so that counts as a win, but it neither of those do much for his career. He hasn't had, like, a a really good ranked win since he beat Gegard Mousasi back in 2015. Um, and they rematched, and Gegard beat him that time. Yeah. I don't think it's a question if who's the better fighter. We, we know Gegard is the better fighter. But Uriah can put anyone out. I think he's a superior mixed or just a superior striking martial artist to Sean Strickland. But he has shown weakness to wrestlers, um, like like Brunson and Gegard Mousasi. Yeah, and and um, he lost to Whitaker to decision. But you know what I mean. When he gets that upper yeah. upper level, he lost to Natal. You know he he's yeah. just always been a he. In my opinion, he can't get over that hump when it comes to that really upper-level shit. Yeah. And and no one would expect him to. Like, he would just be another fighter if not for all the insane hype that was put on him at the beginning of his career back in, what, 2012 after the Ultimate Fighter, 2013 after the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, and, and one of the main reasons for that is because he made Chris Lieben retire after the first round. You know, who's one of... Yeah. Chris Lieben, not only did he have a, a heavy overhand punch, he had one of the strongest chins ever, and he made him say enough after one round, you know, which, which yeah. is pretty amazing. That's where a lot of the hype came from. But overall, this is a bad matchup for him because Uriah doesn't like people getting in his face and pressuring him. You know, when someone pressures him, he can't do his spinning kicks, his his, his just his crazy kicking style that... Is so explosive, can put people out with hook kicks, spinning heel kicks, spinning back kicks, or, or just straight punches. But he needs room to do his thing. He wants to wait and be patient, which old Anderson Silva let him do. Though Anderson Silva was still touching him up, you know, winning points until he got until he got himself knocked out by just charging forward. Uriah can counter strike, but he prefers to just have the guy stand at range and hit him perfectly when he wants to hit him. Um. I favored Uriah. We talked about him versus Weidman. I favored him a bit versus Weidman because Weidman had been chinny. Sean Strickland is not chinny. Um, he's been knocked out by, though, by someone who's similar to Uriah Hall. Elio Zaleski dos Santos is the welterweight version of Uriah Hall, you know, knocking people out with spinning shit primarily. So that's a worry. Um, the odds here are a bit steep, minus 210 or so, 215. Uh, the cheapest is minus 185 for Strickland on Sia, which I don't have or know what it is. Um, yeah, they're, the best you can get Uriah at is like plus 183. I, on my page, because, you know, we use the two different pages so we can cover everything, but they're all like uh, 210 the lowest up to uh, 225, basically, is where Strickland's at. Yeah, so... It's, it's, it's interesting that the books have someone who's fighting his first ranked opponent at uh at uh middleweight his last ranked opponent he fought was Kamaru Usman in 2017 at welterweight 
Um, it's just interesting. But the books might have it right because he is such a bad stylistic matchup using his meat and potato style to get in Uriah's face. And, I mean, Uriah doesn't have an iron chain. He can be put out. Sean Strickland has decent power. He put out um, Brandon Allen most recently, who we we saw take a lot of blows last weekend from another knockout or, or a knockout artist in um, Punahele Soriano. Uh, so I, I think Sean Strickland probably wins this one just stylistically, but the odds are too steep. If I was going to be forced to make a bet, and I did look at this, it was the minus 5.5 point spread, which I've used a lot, that minus 5.5 and minus 3.5 point spread. We've won quite a bit with that, but I don't think it quite fits here. If the odds were minus 110 for it, maybe, but the odds are minus 160 for the minus 5.5 point spread. If he does win, I think he definitely covers that spread. It'll be, you know, a big decision, you know, 49-46 or 50-45 because of Uriah Hall's low-volume style. And it could be a, quite a boring one-sided decision at that. Or Sean Strickland gets a knockout, but Uriah Hall is always live for a knockout. Um, if you want to bet Uriah Hall, which there could be value there too, I just don't like betting on Uriah Hall because of the way he goes about fighting. I don't like trusting him with my money. Because he will do nothing for most of the fight and then either lose or get a knockout. I would. Um, but Hall inside the distance is probably your best bet if you're going that way. I was just looking back real quick and uh, I didn't realize this, but uh, Uriah Hall lost to Chris Weidman back in Ring of Champions in 2010. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was the narrative going into the last fight. Yeah. Was that was Uriah's first loss on the regional scene. They were both undefeated yeah. back in the day, like 3-0 and 2-0 and or, or something. 4-0 and 2-0. And, and yeah, Chris Weidman beat him. So yeah, we'll, in the we're going to have a trilogy now. In the, if in the first back. round, too. That I didn't realize that. I guess I probably heard that narrative, but I never went back and really looked at it. Yeah, I've actually I've never seen the fight. I might have to go and watch that this week. Um, So, yeah, that's the fight. But speaking of Chris Weidman... Uh, our good friend Pepper, who's been on this show, was on this show for UFC 261, coincidentally, to talk about that fight. He is having Ray Longo on his podcast, the Rushmore podcast, this week. He just told me this a bit before recording. He asked me, knowing I'm an MMA fan, if he, if I wanted to ask uh, ask Ray Longo anything. I told him a question, though I didn't know if Ray Longo would answer it because it has to do with you know plans for the future for fighting or for his his uh, students fighting which his students are, you know, Ali Kenta, Chris Weidman, uh, Mirab Valashvili, Aljamain Sterling. Uh, so we'll see. But you should go check that out. Pepper said he'd shout me out when he asked the question. Um, so I thought I'd return the favor. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, when Pepper told me Ray Longo was going to be on there, I was like, you son of a bitch. But uh, I guess I yeah. guess uh, Rushmore is more popular than I knew. He... He'd, Oh yeah, they've had some yeah, big, big he, MMA names on yeah, there. Yeah, and they get some uh, big names from all kinds of stuff. Rushmore is bigger than I thought. Pepper is a cool guy. Anyone you guys want to hear some cool shit by a funny motherfucker, check out Rushmore. Pepper's a cool dude. Yeah. I mean, they're more. we're obviously an MMA podcast. They're a more comedy podcast, but they like MMA, and they, they bring the MMA world into, into the comedy world at, at times. So yeah, check them out. All right, boom, here we go for the first. We do walk the dog first, right? Yep. 
All right, all right. Who's your dog this week? I know who mine is. All right, my dog this week is gonna be shoot. I didn't think about this enough beforehand. Uh, Gloria DePaula. DePaula. Oh, interesting. Just saw Shan Boys controlled on the ground too much in her last fight, but DePaula isn't great either. So. Yeah, <laughs> I was looking at that one as well. Mine is gonna be. Because there's a couple of I was looking at. Let me decide real quick who I'm going to pick here. Oh, yeah. It's it's not the sexy pick, and usually I try and pick a little bit more numbers, but I'm going to go with uh, Ronnie Yaya here. Yeah, I figured you would. That uh, I would have, but I figured you would, so I wanted to go elsewhere. <laughs> right. You know, usually I try and pick bigger ads because yeah. he's not that huge of an underdog, but, there yeah, isn't. that's the one I want to go with. There just isn't I think, much value uh, here. Yeah, I think uh, – uh, Jin Yu Frey might be a decent one to pick against Ashley Yoder as well. Yeah. Um, and, and Danny, sorry, Danny Chavez is decent, but he's only 104. Yeah. So, you know, that's like a real tiny underdog. And Uriah Hall, like I said, is live for a knockout. It's just, I hate putting my money on Uriah Hall. He trusts, I just can't trust him to do enough <laughs> to win. All right. All right, what's your don't be a pussy parlay? I'm still working on this music from Carl. I'm going to text him as soon as we're done recording and see if we can All get right. Jen from the jingles department doing this. All right, um, I'm going with Ronnie Lawrence, of course, Rafa Garcia, uh, Nico Montano, Ryan Benoit, uh, and Brian Barbarina. All right, I'm going to go with... Uh, Ronnie Yaya, my parlay, of course. I'm going to go with Benoit, two. I'm going to go with uh, Ronnie Lawrence, three. I'm going to take Sean Strickland for the win, four. And I'm going to take Barbarina. So that's the show. We don't have any official play, just some... uh, some options for what? we don't have an official what? play for oh, the for main, the main event. event just some uh some options right yeah yeah all right well tomorrow we are gonna do our first ever bellator show because i'm excited about this bellator card as well when you told me you want to do a bellator show i was all in we love it's the greater pitbull fighting we love some of the shit he does, right? Yeah. I mean, it should be... It's just a really fun fight with these guys at UFC level. Pitbull is really talented. He could be a title challenger in the UFC. AJ McKee is undefeated. He's on his way to where he could be a title challenger in the UFC. A great, great grappler with unique submissions. He has a fun style of guillotine that involves him a guillotine. He got his last win with it. Um, it's a great one. Alright, yeah, and I think Pitbull stays there because he's a star there, and we thank you all for joining, and come see us tomorrow for our first ever Bellator card.